Welcome to the Two Vets Talk Pets podcast, hosted by veterinarians Dr. Lewis Kirkham and Dr. Robbie Anderton, who'll give you the inside scoop on the secret lives of your pets and have a lighthearted look at the latest animal news, health tips, and other random facts. All names of people and pets have been changed for confidentiality, so if the story sounds familiar, don't flatter yourself. Every owner is just as animal crazy as you are. So sit down, place your furry, feathered, or scaly best friend on your lap, and it's over to Lewis and Robbie. Hello and welcome, listeners, to episode 129 of the Two Vets Talk Pets podcast, where too much talking of pets is barely enough, and too much talking over your co-host is definitely not enough. My name's Dr. Robbie Ender, and I'm joined by a man who has started up a GoFundMe campaign to try and have the AFL get rid of the goal line technology. It's Dr. Lewis Kirkham. Lewis, how are you going? Oh, good, Robbie. Good. Did you watch a game last night, did you? I happened to watch the game last night, and I wasn't going to mention it, but I didn't have anything else to say on my <laughs> intro. But I thought that um, at least I'd, you know, be a little bit, uh, you know, diplomatic about, uh, you know, wouldn't it be great if they threw the, uh, the goal line technology to the crap house because uh you know you guys are on the receiving end of a battle again two vets talk football foot talk football but that's what happens in finals time i oh, know i oh, know i was it was well it would have been point of the year i reckon if uh you know it was going to be goal of the year but turned out being point of the year so absolutely point of the year yeah. yes but look i mean you know yeah you got a point there but uh he also gave away a couple of 50 meter penalties did shy bolton so look oh, i just think i just think it was a it's a, it a good team effort including the fans because by losing that game, it means we, as fans, we get to see another game next week. It's really nice of them. It's, it's a great it's all, idea. Yeah. It's all just for the fans, giving back COVID. It's great. So look, minor setback, but uh, all good, mate. All good. We'll be back next week. We'll, we'll be no, playing Collingwood, I'm sure. More than likely. And we'll knock you out in the, uh, in the prelim again. Go out straight sets. That'd be all right, wouldn't it? I don't think we play you. I think we play the St Kilda Bulldogs. But anyway. Yeah, I, I think you're right on that. Uh, well, that's right. That'll be, um, it would have been, uh, you know, some commiseration's at the uh, Showgirls Kebab shop then last night, unfortunately. But anyway, it hey. It, it wasn't kebabs all around, I'm sure. No. Um, how has your, uh, how your last week of holidays been? You've been getting out and enjoying the world, you know, the masked world out here in Melbourne? Um, uh, look, uh, not, not a lot really. There's not much to do really. We go for a walk most days, Deb and I, um, you know, just, just at home with the kids, just trying to occupy them and get them away from screens is the big thing. I just, uh, yeah. just want to be on screens all the time. Um, trying to so, extricate them from that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, have, have you, have you seen any good uh, novelty masks? Ooh, no. I've seen a, a few that have been like the Joker. You know, the, the, uh, the sort of clowns. Why so serious? Yeah, they're, co- they're kind of a bit scary. I saw a phantom one that was, that was it's all a bit scary, the ones that I've seen that are novelty. Oh. How about yourself? Right. Uh, so I actually had, um, I saw a, a family walking around with, um, with pug masks. Oh. And they're walking around with pug masks, right? All these things they go, <sighs> you just hear them <laughs> struggling to breathe through the masks. <laughs> it was on Thursday, so it was quite a hot day. I thought, that is... That is quite possibly the most wonderful irony I've ever seen in my life of people walking around wearing a little pug mask and having to huff and puff, struggling to breathe through it. I thought maybe that's what should happen for people when they're trying to um, think about actually uh, getting a pug or breeding pugs. Maybe what they should do, they should be made to wear a pug mask. Sorry, just move it. Maybe they should be made to wear a pug mask and then they can actually see whether or not what it's like to actually uh, run around without being able to breathe. Well, spot on, mate. I think you'd make the pug mask extra thick. I think just to just to really, really have struggled getting that breathing in, you know. Oh, and especially if they're wearing them on a hot day too, because that was the tricky. That was the, the 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 best part on Thursday because it was pretty hot here on Thursday, and see all these people running around with pug masks. Yeah, it was it was, it was wonderful. I loved it. Mask irony, Lewis, just beautiful. But what well, what's been happening with you? Well, speaking of the the um the. Uh, uh, heat and stuff. I had a bit of a question from my dad actually during the week. So my brother's got a spoodle. Yeah. Because we've been in lockdown here, we haven't, no one's been able to get their dogs groomed. And mm. he's, and I, that may be a good, uh, I said, I'd ask Robbie this question. He was wondering, you know, while his uh, coat's getting quite long. Yes. And he was sort of wondering that uh, how these, how dogs like Wally, your spoodle would cope in the wild. 
with if they couldn't be groomed all the time what happens to their coat what you know i mean similar to the pug i mean you know we often yes. have a visions of pugs you know in in um australia chasing down the wild kangaroos and wrestling to them ground and devout you know really getting out there in the wild how about your spoodle how do they cope with the long coats mate do they get hot yeah, look, so it's a very interesting question from a um, from a, an evolutionary point of view, and I'm and I'm pretty sure that um, it's something that Darwin wrote about um, in his uh, expeditions um, on the Beagle, um, you know, back many years ago. Yeah, um, that, that went. Yeah, yeah. When, when he observed the, the the spoodle running around in its natural environment around in the the, the plains of Africa, um, that the that the hair, I think it's the the, the different temperament environment of, of being in. Um, or actually, no, I think this or the spoodle's more up the um the uh, up in the Arctic maybe. But um, but I think that the colder weather helped to try and suppress hair growth. So I think that's the way that the spoodles managed to deal with that when um yeah in the wilds before we had clippers and groomers and and coat. COVID shutdowns. I'm pretty sure that's how it's same with pugs that pugs had to develop that shorter nose so that when the wallabies that they were chasing and they get kicked in the nose, it was more difficult for the wallaby to actually land it right on the end of the hooter. Yeah. Often they kick and miss the nose and just whoosh straight across the front of them. Cause there was nothing to kick. Wouldn't it? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and unfortunately though, then the wallabies only took three steps and the pugs couldn't run anymore because they were still struggling to <laughs> Breathe no nose. Collapse from the heat in the middle of Northern Territory there, chasing the wallabies down. Very interesting question from um from from Dr. Kirkham there about uh how they managed to cope in the wild because it it has been many, many, many generations since the uh the um the 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 forebearers or forefathers and mothers of the spoodles were running around the, the plains of the of the Arctic Circle. That's right. The tundra with the uh, the French bulldogs just cavorting across the tundra, chasing the GNU. And uh, <laughs> what a sight it was! Outrunning the lions and things. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, really, they they wouldn't survive spoodles. Their, their hair would get very long. It get very matted. Um, they get hot. Yes, they probably get infections. They get grass seeds. Yeah, they're they're not they're not really suited for for the environment where grooming parlors are shut. Really. It might have protected them against lion bites because the lions may not have been able to bite down them hard enough, Lewis, in order to try and actually penetrate the skin through that hard, matted fur. Yeah, but if the hair was that long, they they you know they just have lions hanging off them, just hanging onto the fur, and they're just running across the tundra, just drag dragging the lions yeah. around. Actually, it's the first time. It's an interesting point you make. It's the first time I've actually thought that the Hungarian poolies were actually the dogs that really should be the ones that are that should be uh, being bred in in high numbers for the COVID lockdown because they're the ones that don't need to be groomed. They just get, keep growing their dreadlocks. Yeah, yeah, they do. Or huskies, where the huskies or the chow chows, they don't need grooming. Oh, but I, I mean ones that they keep they keep just growing their hair oh. and, and just go, go the whole Rastafarian look. Yeah, it's quite a yeah, look. They walk, walk around with their tea cozies and things like that, you know, playing on those big, big steel drums. <laughs> so there you go, uh, there you go, Dad. Hopefully that answered the question for you. Robbie's got it sorted. Yeah. Hey, and um and something else is information for your dad. Um uh, have you um have you ever specifically said to someone not to let your dogs chase sticks? Um, for, for fun. Like, yes. is that something that you say in, yes. in puppy consults? Oh, not, yeah. not routinely, but, um, but if it's raised about, you know, he loves chasing sticks. I go, Oh, I'm not a big fan of that, but it often, often gets a bit of people's backup. I reckon when you, if in a puppy, they're like, Oh, Oh no, no, no. Got to let him chase sticks. What, what are we going to do if he doesn't chase sticks? Yeah, well, maybe a rope toy. Yeah. Well, one alternative of letting them chase the, the sticks is then um, having the stick jam in the back of their throat and then have to go and have a CT scan in order to find the stick and have the stick removed. We had that happen to one of our clients during the week and she said, no one's ever told me not to let my dog chase sticks. And I said, well, that's really interesting. I said, you know, like I, it's certainly, I mean, uh, you know, we haven't seen um, the, the dog very much, but you know, we say, look, we're, we, we never recommend the, the chasing of sticks. And I actually said to the owner, I've actually got into a couple of um, uh, you know, heated debates with people out at the off-leg dog park where I you know, would open my mouth and say, look, you probably shouldn't let your dog chew sticks or, or chase sticks because if it jams in its mouth, it's going to get into trouble. Um, and, oh, no, 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 it's fine. And, but yeah, geez. So this lady said, I really wish people would know. So I said, well, I'll mention it on the podcast. People don't let your dogs chase sticks. 
Well, similar to the, the presidential debate, mate, I imagine the off-lead dog park would be the perfect forum to raise such contentious, contentious issues as chasing sticks. And I, I can imagine you would, you would get quite a, quite a, a spirited discussion. I, I try to be as diplomatic as possible, Lewis, you know, and, and say, well, you know what? This is what can happen. And, and they, they just don't listen to me, Lewis. And it's, a, it's very disappointing. Yeah, especially when they go, what are you, a vet or something? You go, actually, I am. Yeah. <laughs> but that's a good point, mate, because yeah, we certainly, I reckon, you know, it's, it's, um, it's weird since I moved to Port Melbourne. It seems to be an area where chasing sticks seems to be more common. I reckon we've seen at least, really? uh, I've seen at least uh, three or four in the last couple of couple of years where you know yeah, same sort of thing you're like you know it's got a discharging sinus in the back of its mouth there from from the stick in going there i don't know how far it's gone down has it gone all the way down that's esophagus has it gone down to the into the trachea where, where's it ended up you know you got no mm. idea did the stick all come out oh owners don't know you know they just rush to the vet because they're bleeding from their mouth and really painful so yeah, yeah don't chuck yeah. sticks yeah use something different no, no sticks. Get something that's soft, you know, because the sticks they and you know you see um the dogs running around, particularly if it's a big stick and they've just got like one yeah. end of it and they're running around with their oh, head yeah. on the side. And it's like, man, that's 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 called pole vaulting, you know. And you know, and um, you know, Sebastian Coe didn't run around with the with the um the stick in his mouth to try and jam it into the ground because he's probably worried that it was going to jam into his mouth. And he had good reason for that. You hold on to it in your hands. Yeah. So if your dog yeah. doesn't have hands, don't let it chase a stick. Exactly. I mean, the big issue, just so owners know, is that you know that they you throw the stick, it sort of gets uh, stuck up in the in the potentially into the ground or it gets uh, sort of up in there and the dog's chasing it full pelt and essentially impales. You know, they go to grab the stick and then impales themselves into their mouth sounds horrible, then down the side of their mouth or somewhere like that with the stick going all the way down. And even if it's not there, it could be another area like that, you know, hits them in the chest or, or something like that. So they're the sorts of reasons we do not like chasing dogs, dogs chasing sticks. If you want to do, do the balls, that's fine. Chasing balls is fine. Not a big fan of the hair tennis ball dogs chasing the hair tennis ball because they get that really worn down tooth um, sort of, sort of look to their mouth. So you're better off with a rubber ball or something like that. Something a little bit bigger. Um, yeah, but, right. um, yeah, but not the head tennis ball. Have you seen that a bit where they, you see the dogs you look in the mouth, you go, Oh, their teeth are really worn down. Does the dog chase, uh, tennis balls? Oh, loves tennis balls. That's just yeah. total manic for tennis balls up. Like, yep. Yeah, well, it's, re it's really wearing down those teeth. Yeah. Cla classic 10 year old border collie teeth. Yeah. You know, where you're seeing where the border collies have been chasing the ball for 10 years yep. and you could literally put a ruler on the, on those teeth and just run it straight along. Like the teeth are healthy enough and functional because it's just been a gradual wear down, but it's just absolutely. And I've seen some that have gone so close and sometimes I've seen dogs where it's only just on one side. So if they only carry the, the, the ball on one side. Yeah. Um, so that was a, so this dog had to um, went and had a CT scan. Um, and so on the CT scan, they could find where the stick was right down in the back of the dog's throat. Then they had Ugh. to go in there and, and pull it out. And then they, I think they spent an hour in there flushing out bits of stick and debris and things like that from down there next to the dog's tongue it was a pretty spectacular ct scan so wow um, yeah, yeah that, that, so that's that a big surgery it's not, it's not something you want to do lightly that's for sure no no um and uh, and another thing that i had um happened this week mate i um the i was tapped by um uh, one of the the vet students out of werribee to be part of the um the uh veterinary uh, or the virtual networking night out at the uh the melbourne uni vet school last week nice so um yeah yeah, because they uh, can't have normal networking nights because of COVID and everyone's in lockdown and everything. They um, organised to do it do it virtually. So um, I was in the in the the, the, the podcast uh, reclining lounge and uh, yes. had myself a, had myself a beer. And when the time was right, on came the other. Uh, I went into a little room and uh, was on there with um, you know they had uh, another vet with me and um, and seven other seven vet students. So they were asking me lots of questions about what it's like and you know, what the, whether or not I think it's going to be a problem with the fact that they're trying to be students during COVID and all that sort of stuff. And um, yeah, then at the end, uh, they, we all got into the same, um, they let everyone into the room, uh, into the one room. So I think it's like 120, 130 people. And um, I was answering one of the questions at one stage and then someone's put on going, oh, I recognize your voice before I recognize your name. I listen to your podcast. Nice. So, you, know, you know, getting the recognition out there, Lewis. Fantastic, mate. Good on you. Good on you. So, um, and you reckon you answered a few questions, set, set a few minds at ease? Yeah, I just said, look, yeah, you'll be right. <laughs> you'll be right. That's, <laughs> That's so helpful. Uh, 
And no, no, it's 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 pretty stressful for him because it's so so different. But you know, look, once you've been out and worked for a while, you know, everything will be fine. You'll all find jobs. It's going to be a little bit tougher. But then by the time you've done it for six months, everything will be fine. We're an amazing adaptive society, aren't we? And I was just saying to Deb today, actually, that um, potentially dogs, uh, you know, all these new puppies that that um, that people are going to get, they're going to be the best puppies at reading uh, our eyes for body language. You know, yes. when you're out in a walk, be able to tell what the owner wants from, from their body language and from their eyes, which they're already good at already. They're really, really good. But also new babies that are born or toddlers, how good are they going to be reading, you know, human body language from, from the eyes, you know, telling if you're happy or if that person's angry at me just from looking at their eyes. So you, you think that the group you think all these COVID the COVID babies might be good at poker then like they're going to be able to sort of read you know re- re- read your eyes or maybe yeah. there's some sort of superpower Lewis that the kids of these days are going to be able potentially to have. or poker or iridology something probably poker make a bit more money but anyway it did, or, or did different different to phrenology the iridology yes yes <laughs> I know about phrenology thank you very much for bringing that up but also <laughs> thank you very much to our sponsor Zilkeen. They're back. Yes. Yeah. They're signed on for another year. So that's lovely. Thanks so much. Really appreciate you guys. Um, It's an anxiety lowering um, supplement. um, That's, uh, that's really good for, for dogs or cats with mild anxiety problems. Um, It has minimal side effects. You can open the capsule restrictor on the food. It's quite palatable. So get around it. You can get it from your pet shop or get it from your vet clinic. Yeah, um, I was speaking to um one of the vets at at work this week. That's um we've got a dog that's on uh, multiple behaviour modifying medications already, and we've had to try and drop some of them down. And uh, said, "Oh, is there anything else you can use? It you can use Zilkeen. Yes, get yeah. get it on Zilkeen. Yeah. It's safe. Yeah. Get it on. Yeah, it's good stuff, definitely. And also, a big thank you to Delicate Care. Yes, um, and, and a big shout out to Delicate Care too. Um, the big big mate Andre down in Tasmania sent up a Tasmanian care package. Oh, did this you? week. Yeah. Apparently, yeah. I've got one at work waiting for me. So, uh, yeah, I, I went into your work and I already took all the good stuff out of there. So, <laughs> so don't worry too much. I've I've taken the the artesian honey and the um the the little um the salted caramel popcorn uh, chocolate bits. Um, and I've and I've left you the um the the beef jerky. Nice, mate. Well, hopefully, uh, it's, it's actually good of... beef jerky. The good oh. beef jerky is good. Oh, good. As long as it's not full of uh, big M's, because uh, they'll be all off by the time I get back to work next week. So. <laughs> but Delicate Care, yeah, Australian made, uh, made over in Perth and shipped everywhere around Australia, available in vet clinics. Um, uh, the, the sensitive skin and stomach, I was telling a, a lady with a German shepherd yesterday that's got um, dietary issues and she's trying to find a good novel protein diet. And she said, do you have any ideas? Do I have an idea? Do we what? Do yeah. we what? what? Oh, my goodness. Kangaroo and duck. It's never had kangaroo and duck before. Well, boy, have I got the diet for your dog. Excellent. Good stuff, mate. Fantastic. So thank you very much. And also our Patreon supporters. Uh, thanks very much, guys. Uh, we, we do appreciate We've got a question from longtime supporter, Patreon supporter, Claudia today. Hey. So, so we'll get down to her question um, at the end. So yeah, if you've got a question and you're on Patreon, you certainly take priority. So Get online on uh, patreon.com, Two Vets Talk Pets. It does help us a lot, guys. It means we can have uh, less sponsors on the podcast because we've got um, got our listeners supporting us. Yeah, right. so any, any questions you got, hit us up. Yeah, definitely. Now, I've got an article this week from the New York Times. Wow. I've called in the big guns, mate. I've been reading wide and far. Absolutely. I mean, what, a, what a well-read human being you are. Thank you. Thank you, Robbie. Rat that sniffs out landmines receives award for bravery. Wow. Heavy yeah. hitting. Maga- <laughs> Magawa, a five-year-old African giant pouch rat, was recognized with a prestigious award for his work detecting mines and explosives in Cambodia. Oh, that's, that's do, doing, doing the Lord's work. That one did taken over from Princess Diana. Yeah. Well, five years old. He's getting on a bit, I think. The... <laughs> The medal awarded on Friday lauded the life-saving bravery and devotion to duty for detecting landmines in Cambodia. Its recipient, a rat named Magawi, Magawa. Magawa is the first rat to receive the reward. A gold medal bestowed by the People's Dispensary of Sick Animals, a British charity. These often called the Animals George Cross. Oh, oh yes. I think we've spoken about that previously on the podcast. That's a high honour. Yeah. yeah. Um, after an honour usually given to civilians that recognise acts of bravery and hero- heroism. Not since the fictional Remy. Where's Remy from, Robbie? 
Remy uh, the Rat. France? No. Oh, yeah. oh, Remy the Rat from Ratatouille. Ratatouille of the 2007 Disney Pixar film Ratatouille has a rat done so much to challenge the public's view of animals as creatures more commonly seen scuttling through sewers in the subway. Magawa has discovered 39 landmines and 28 pieces of unexploded ordnance and helped clear more than 1.5 million square feet of land over the past four years. Wow. Gee, this is, it covers some ground. Yeah, I reckon. Gee whiz. Magawa's dedication, skill, and bravery deserve the highest possible recognition, Ms. McLaughlin from the charity said. More than 5 million landmines are thought to have been laid in Cambodia. Oh, wow. During the ousting of the Khmer Rouge and internal conflicts in the 1980s and 1990s, parts of the country also littered with unexploded ordnance dropped in the United States airstrikes during the Vietnam War, a 2019 report from the Congressional Research Service found. Larger than the average rodent, Magawa, we've talked about this before, remember on the podcast, oh, six or so months ago, ago, we talked about the the mind-finding rats. Yes, Magawa, a five-year-old African giant pouch rat, is part of the Hero Rat Initiative, run by the Belgian non-profit Apopo. That was Apopo. Apopo. That was a group we talked about. Uh, animals, um, people, owners. For no, no idea. I don't know what Apopo stands for. I could probably <laughs> look it up. But anyway, which works across Southeast Asia and Africa, training rats to save lives by detecting landmines and tuberculosis. That's right. That's what we had in, in oh, Africa. Oh, there you we did. We're talking about, yeah, with the TB. Yes. Yeah, detecting TB. I wonder if they do COVID. Oh, like the like the the um the nor the 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 Norwegian dogs. The Finnish. Oh, the, the Finnish. The, the Finnish the, dogs. So instead of instead of giving you a wipe to the dog, you're giving it to a rat. Terrific. So the rat can go, just have a little have a have a little sniff. It wouldn't go Ratatouille so style. It wouldn't. I mean, the public perception of a rat sort of sniffing your your little wipe. Your bits? Probably, probably not. Not as good as a dog, is it? Not as. Not as oh, nice. look, it's. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even even the dog's a little bit weird, but once you start getting a rat sniffing around, it's you know probably a little bit you know. <laughs> Magawa, the most successful rat to have taken part in the program, was trained to detect TNT. The ability to sniff out TNT makes him much faster than any person in searching for landmines, as he can ignore scrap metal that usually picked up by a metal detector. He can search the area the size of a tennis court in thirty minutes, whereas right. a person with a metal detector will usually take four days to search an area of that size. That's impressive. It must be because he's lighter that he, because he's so light, he doesn't actually set them off. Uh, maybe oh, it's more, I think that a metal detector, any bit of metal, they're going to stop and go, Whoa. And sort of what's gently, going on there. Gently dig around yeah. it and look for it. So yeah, on a five cent piece. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When he finds a mine, he signals to his handle by scratching the earth above it. Oh, Whoa. Now that's, that's a worry. Take it easy there, Magawi. Yeah. Just don't, little, don't dig down too hard. Little yeah. light scratches, mate. Unlike humans, Magawi is too light to detonate a mine. There so you there go. Is, there is minimal yes. risk of energy of, of injury. Rats yes. like Magawi significantly speed up landmine detection using their amazing sense of smell and excellent memory, said Christopher ah. Cox, a Popo's chief, chief executive. This not only saves lives, but returns much needed safe land back to communities as quickly and cost effectively as possible. Described by Marlon, his main handler, as friendly and hardworking, Magawa has a work-life balance is like the envy of many a human. Wonder if he um got a bit of a backpacker shortage in Shepparton. Wonder if he picks fruit because we, we're looking for some some hard workers. Just just come up and just gnaw off the yeah just just gnaw off the stalk yeah and just drop it down into the little sack yeah, yeah. No, he might be might might do alright he could climb up the trees pretty yeah. well yeah I mean he can have have some fruit for, for for lunch and that sort of thing but not all of it. Is, is there any is there any talk about what Peter Dutton's um, thoughts are on giving a, a rat from Cambodia a four five seven visa to be able to come over and work? That's a good point. So, don't, I know. Is there, is there any way that we can get in touch with uh, with with uh, Minister Dutton and try and get his thoughts on that? And is there a quarantine period? Is he, are we two weeks in uh, paid paid quarantine hotel quarantine if you if you come in from Cambodia? Yeah, I think he just ha- he's just got to run around the back of the hotel. He doesn't actually get a room. He's just got to run around in the background, just in oh, the just around where the bins like are. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you're with the other rats. Yeah. Oh no! And then he's going to go to the rats around the around the the, the retirement villages. That's mm. a disaster. And, disaster. And no wonder, no wonder Peter Dutton doesn't want him in. Let's not do that. No. 
He's very sick and he's very quick and decisive, Mallon said in a statement provided by People's Dispensary for Sick Animals. But he's also the first one to take a nap during a break. Oh. When he's, he's not a in, cool, cool customer. He is. When he's not in the minefield, the two foot long rat loves like snacking on bananas, peanuts, watermelons, and taking a spin on the running wheel. Oh, hey. it's just, it's just got to keep himself fit, Lewis. If he's covering a, a tennis court in a, in a half an hour, he's got to keep himself fit. He's got to get on that, get on the bike. Yeah. Now, is there anything in that article there, Lewis, saying that they've actually discussed with um, with Mamumbe what will actually happen if one of those landmines detonate? You know, like, does he know what the consequence is of, of setting one of these things off? Or is he just thinking, oh, I'm just, they've just pulled up another Frisbee. They pulled it's, up another Frisbee out of the ground. It's all peanuts and bananas, mate, for him, I think. You know, there's no signed waiver. Yeah, we're not, no, no. <laughs> Yeah, the, the, the rats, I mean, he's a good rat. I'm sure he's good at what he does, but I'm pretty sure they're dime a dozen. Yeah, the African pouch rat. Mate, if they're, if, they're, uh, if they're a dime a dozen, they'd be handing out, uh, yeah, the, uh, the Apopo would be handing out badges left, right and centre. Yeah, he sounds like he's a one-of-a-kind rat. True, true. He's, but they do say Magawi's glittering career may soon come to an end as Apopo estimates that its hero rats work in the field for four to five years. Oh, he's already at the end of it. It's time for him to get his gold watch. He's got his gold badge. He's going to get his gold watch. After which they're given a retirement filled with play and exercise. Now, where's the, whereabouts is the rat retirement home in Cambodia? What are you thinking? What do you reckon? Yeah, do you, I, do you I, think I, there's a dedicated play and exercise area? Or, yeah. or is, you know, Dragon Magawi's just like, off you go, mate. <laughs> You go yeah. around the back of the restaurants. Run free, little rat. Yeah, Run free. That's right. We'll pop your, pop your little badge on your back so that then that way when you're hanging around at the other the other dive bars from the other the other poor, you know, uh, veteran veteran rats, and you go, oh, what were you doing? Oh, well, I did. I, I served a five-year, you know, a five-year tour, yeah, checking out landmines and stuff. You know, what did you do? Oh, I was, I was just, just running around in the mess hall just eating eating bits of cheese and, you know, sit, sniffing Sniffing people's you know, bits of bits of crotch tissue, trying to see if they had COVID or not. Well, he might. Speaking of that, he might be hit with the ladies. You never know. I mean, he's got the, he's got the cross. He's got the, the 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 George Cross on him. The the Medal of Valor. I think I think if if he walked into that, uh, you know, that mess hall, there'd be there'd be quite a few African pouch ladies, you know, searching for him. Just going, oh, hey, hey, sailor. Yeah, what's hey, what's up, Magawa? So the. <laughs> um, Hopefully they don't put his badge on while he's walking around because that might just increase his weight just enough to actually set one of them off. So, so maybe he's just got to leave that in his, uh, you know, in, in, in with his personal possessions. Well, yeah, you wouldn't want the gold medal to, that's hanging around his neck to sort of set off a chip. Oops. Oops. Be no good. No, yeah, especially yeah, that yeah. camera's there just after they've given it to him. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're gonna. Is there any way that we can actually get a get an image of him sniffing around with the badge on his back? Oh yeah, I'm showing him. And, oh. He's too heavy. All, all that was left was, you know, one little, one little finger and a, you know, and, and the gold medal. That was it. And he didn't get a chance to live out his retirement with play and exercise in Cambodia retirement home. No, no. And all the, and all the ladies coming and swamping him. Poor, That's poor right. Magawi. There you go. So, alrighty. Now we might, uh, I reckon move on to the disclaimer, mate. Why not? Alrighty. So um, I'm just going to click over into that part of the screen and say that all advice on this show is generally nature. So please consult your veterinarian before following any advice for your pet or before sending your rats out looking for landmines. We do our best to provide the most up-to-date information as veterinary medicine is continuing advancing and changing. Please let us know if we've missed anything. If you need any clarification or what other sort of toys you think would be a good idea for your dog to play around with, uh, you know, when they're around at the park, but not sticks. Yeah, good stuff. All right. Well, I'm go- I've got an article here that um, from the Journal of American Vet Medicine Association about inter- intra-household inter-dog aggression. So we might take a short break and I'll come back with that. Hey, Robbie, I'd love to give a shout out to our friends at PetSure for their awesome free webinar series. Yeah, man, I heard about those. Aren't they called Pause and Learn? As in P A W S. I see what you did there. Oh, mate, there's nothing like a good acronym. It got your attention. <laughs> it certainly did, mate. But seriously, the Pet Show webinars cover some amazing topics, though. They sure do. There's one on COVID 19 and pets, very topical and essential viewing for all 
concerned parents in this COVID-19 world. Indeed, mate, and for vets as well. Oh, you're absolutely right. There's also another one called Setting Up Your New Pet for Success. And here's one that's really important, Helping Pets Avoid Separation Anxiety. That'd be right in your wheelhouse, wouldn't it? Oh, mate, love that. Anything on behaviour, that's absolute gold. Oh, mate, it's all gold, gold, gold for pet sure here. And you know they're presented by Pet Shores Chief Vet Dr. Danny Hulhan, friend of the podcast, and also they have a range of other pet experts for each topic, so you know you're getting the good stuff. Oh, mate, that sounds great. So to learn more about these webinars or to register, visit petsure.com.au slash webinars. Registration is free, but spots are limited, and since we've just registered, two less... So make sure you secure your spot today. Oh, T's and C's apply. Visit petshaw.com.au for more information. All right. So, Lewis, you've done some scrounge, you've done some hunting, and you've got some uh, uh, an article on intra-household aggression. Hit us. What do so you this got? is... Um, uh, this is an article from Journal of Astra- uh, American Vet Medical Association, I think, JAVMA. JAVMA. Um, JAVMA. A fantastic article. It's uh, called Characteristics of Intra-Household Inter-Dog Aggression and Dog and Pair Factors Associated with a Poor Outcome. So this is essentially, uh, I like to call it, I, I use the term sibling rivalry. So right. you know, you've, got, you've got two two dogs in a household. I suppose it could be more than two, but this article looked at just two uh, pairs of dogs. Um, and basically they start fighting for some reason, you know, and, and there can be lots of different reasons. And this, this article essentially, I've got my own ideas about um, sort of uh, poor outcomes. You know, it, it's often a really difficult problem to sort of deal with i find as as being as a behavior sort of vet um it's one of my most difficult things that um that often because in a in a consult situation um at work you know i've only got an hour to talk to people for behavior problems i will often try and refer them on because i do know that it's a complicated problem it needs a lot more time than i've got necessarily my hour to to sit and and help help people with it so um uh, yeah, so I call it sibling rivalry. Um, have lots of lots of people call it lots of different things: interdog aggression, um, you know, household aggression, lots of different things. But this is a great article. It was written by uh, Elizabeth Feltes um, with a couple other behaviourists that I know of as well um, over in over in the states. Um, and essentially, uh, aggression between dogs in the same household creates upheaval within the dog's owner's home, erodes the human animal bond, and often leads to rehoming or euthanasia of one or both dogs. And that's unfortunately is it's a really common thing. Households in which an amicable relationship cannot be achieved between dogs might have to resort to keeping the dogs separate, separated permanently or when they're unsupervised. Alternatively, owners may choose to keep one or both dogs muzzled when they're together. All these alternatives can become burdensome for the household owing to the management required to maintain safety. Lapses in management can result in serious injury to the dogs or people in the household and concerns about such lapses add to stress to the daily lives of the dog owners. And I guess that's you know one of the reasons often that I don't, I, you know, I like to think they could actually have a consult where, you know, uh, uh, someone goes out to the home or, to, you know, has time two to three hours to talk to them to go to it because management is really difficult. Owners are often really adverse to separating the dogs long-term yeah often really averse to putting a muzzle on a dog. Um, we just seem to have this stigma that you know, a muzzle is a terrible thing to put on a dog when really mm-hmm. it's about keeping the dogs in the house and, and being able to have them together. So essentially this study looked at 305 pairs of dogs. So 610 dogs in total um, that all had um, this, inter, as they've called it, intra-household inter-dog aggression or sibling rivalry, as I like to call it. And it's from a database of a referral veterinary behavior, um, behavior clinic. I think it was, um, oh, wait, where's that? Uh, Ohio. Ohio. Yeah, behavior clinic in Ohio. Cleveland. So, right. Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah, yeah. Oh, this one's Olmsted Falls. That must be another suburb. Um, and also out of the uni, Ohio State Union in Columbus, uh, so most uh, most of the inter household uh, the sibling rivalry dogs included at least one female. So seventy percent mm. of those pairings had a female in it. Um, 
So thoughts on that, mate? Uh, yeah, living with a female. Uh, any any comments? Thoughts? Oh, li- living with females is one of the greatest um, joys that can happen in a oh. in certainly a man's life, and particularly with a, a when he has a, a wife and a daughter and a female dog <laughs> in the house. Living with females is is it just brings joy, 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 joy. Thank well you. Said. Thank you. Th- thank you for buying me a ticket for that bus that was coming past and. Uh, <laughs> I'm hopefully, uh, hopefully, I, I definitely, definitely punched that ticket. <laughs> you did very well, mate. Thank you. you. Well. Thank really you dropped much. doing that. That's, that's one of the things you get good at when you're living with living with, you know, females in the house. There must be yes. Sex. Yes. One of the skills. But that's, that's a really common thing. Is it seems to be that a lot of the dogs that do we do see this sibling rivalry. There's often is female dog is is very commonly involved. Anecdotally, I would have said the same thing. I would have said that, yeah, usually in the times where you're having these, there's a, a female dog involved, either either a single female dog of the pair or, or multiple female dogs. Yeah. So, they, yeah, they found 70% had one female dogs and then 62% had dogs of the same sex were involved in in in, in the fights. So, um, so it reported... Um, so they looked at triggers that, that owners had said. So the reported triggers for the aggressive ed- episodes or fights included uh, 70, 73% of them were over resources, mm. which they've looked as being food, toys, and discovered items. So you know, classic one is uh, often you know, dogs are fighting, but that someone will dig up a bone in the backyard and, and, and then mm. it's on, you know, or, or you know, discover an item. Um, proximity and attention from owners. That's a really common ah, one. Yes. I was wondering uh, if they were going to put that under resource, but they've just given that its own little, yeah, its own little bit. Exactly, attention from non-family members, and that's an interesting one. I wonder if that's a greeting at the door sort of scenario that often, often causes um causes aggression, but that's often excitement sort of thing. Um, att- yeah, uh, proximity in confined spaces, and excitement. Oh, there we go. Especially during greetings, play sessions, walks, and rides in vehicles. So that would certainly be my. My thing, you know, excitement's a big one. Um, resources, another big one, and attention from is that they're certainly. I hadn't put attention from non-family members as as one I would routinely see. So it's interesting that they've they've mentioned mm. that one as as well. There, I think the hardest ones to to treat, and we thankfully we don't see this very often, is actually uh, when it's two dogs that are fighting when owners are not present, and there doesn't ah. seem to be an obvious trigger for that. Yeah. So, um, and something something that often I was taught certainly um, by a behaviorist a long time ago is sometimes if, uh, if they're a bit of an older dog, sometimes uh, there can be, I think a medical component to it where one dog is becoming a bit older. Maybe it's a bit arthritic or grumpy or one dog gets a sore ear or a medical or problem. tooth or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that can, or anal glands is a common one too. An infected anal gland, it may be, maybe a little theory of mine, maybe changes their smell to the other right. dog as well as a pain response there. And uh, I and, like your little theory, Lewis. Yeah. And, and maybe that that's so, so it's certainly worthwhile. If, if you've got a dog that's the dogs that are having these problems, having them checked by the vet is, is probably mm. the very first start of, of what to do. Um, and so then they looked at the risk factors, risk factors significantly associated with poor outcome. So poor outcome, they've, they've talked about being uh, euthanasia or permanent sort of separation of the dogs. Mm. I guess rehoming one or even in the house, you know, having two separate areas for, for the dogs to live in. Um, so the first thing is that uh, the dogs of the same sex, um, particularly female, female, and and that's a big thing that I find too. If, if, if I talk to owners and the first thing they say is, yeah, we've got two females fighting in the house. I just, it's a very, seems to be very, very difficult um, and really poor prognosis. Um, if, if you've got two females fighting, certainly my, my certainly experience, um, if the bites have been serious enough to puncture the skin of the recipient, um, if the aggressor is greater than or equal to two years younger than the recipient. So if there's a big oh, age gap. Yeah, that, that's... Um, but the younger one. Yeah, if the, if the younger one's the aggressor. Uh, if the aggressor is, sorry, greater than or equal to two years younger. Yeah, so if the aggressor is younger, um, that's, that's a, a poor prognosis um, there. Um, if the aggressor was introduced into the household after the recipient, so a new dog coming into the home and they've become aggressive, uh, the aggressor is heavier than the recipient. Um, if the aggression is triggered by the sight of the recipient, even without other triggers. So if they just can't even you know, look at each other and they fight. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, just, just, see just, it and just seeing each other through, even through like a, a, a window, 
or um, you know, an, uh, uh, um, a flywide door or something like that. So, and also the third one, the final one is interesting. The, the owner uses positive punishment training techniques as a poor ah. prognosis as well. So that's an interesting point. So the, the spike collar that we're talking about last week. Well, the prong covers, that's what's one form of punishment, but, but other things would be, you know, uh, obviously, if we're talking positive punishment, potentially we're talking you know, yelling at one dog or, or hitting one dog, which is, which is often a common thing that owners try and do is, is you know, I guess you know, maybe it's ingrained from sort of our upbringings, the ages we are, that if you're fighting with your brother, one of you got to whack. You know, you're fighting with yeah. your sister, one of you got a whack. One, one of you is the, the one who did the wrong thing or both you got a whack, you know, and then you got separated. You know, maybe it's Someone's sort of- getting whacked. Maybe it's sort of ingrained that. So there may be a thing of where we feel like we do need to punish one dog. Um, and and that, that certainly can bring, you know, worse outcomes. Because often there, there seems to be an anxiety component to these mm. sort of interdog aggression things. And bringing punishment into that just, just uh, escalates um, that, that anxiety even further. Uh, so then talks a little bit about some management things so management is particularly important part of treatment and should be strongly encouraged when clinicians become aware of the problem triggers should be removed if possible so you know if we've got dogs that are fighting over food they're fed separately separate rooms uh, locked doors you know you feed them open the doors take away the bowls done no food they don't get any treats unless they're in the separate room there's no you know, whatever it might be if they're fighting over a certain resting area then that resting area is off limits for everybody mm. those are the sorts of things um, that you're trying to do you're going out in the backyard you're pulling out all the, all the bones um, there yeah. you know, often there are no toys unfortunately with dogs that have these issues they often live in quite a barren environment which which again is an effect on their animal welfare too with both dogs just totally um deprived of any toys you know any sort of treats you know that sort of thing it's it can Mm. be can be quite barren um uh, so the dogs should be kept separate from each other particularly if eye contact alone triggers the aggression um, when triggers are present and when unsupervised. So it's interesting. So keep the separate unsupervised. Um, I f- often find dogs can, can cope sometimes um, if the aggression only seems to be, um, seems to be when owners are present, but, but it's interesting. They recommend keeping them separated when they're unsupervised. Yeah, right. Muzzles are recommended and appropriate muzzle training is emphasized and a variety of medications may be helpful. In their study, they found um, that the aggressor, uh, most of the time the aggressor was put on some sort of medication. Um, and then about a third of the time they put the recipient dog on some medication as well. So sometimes oh, right. we do find, you know, obviously the aggressor dog is an anxiety base often to the aggression. Sometimes mm-hmm. with the recipient dog, it's actually the recipient dog showing fear or anxiety around the other dog that actually sets them off. So we do know sometimes if we can bring the confidence up of the recipient dog, um, then sometimes that helps with the aggression, gives them a bit more confidence to be a bit more, uh, a bit more um, uh, less fearful and less uncomfortable and just be able to sort of shrug off the other dog a bit more and go, Hey, no, look, I'm sleeping here. You bugger off sort of thing. So it improves their resilience. Yeah. Yes. Almost. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's resilience more, um, I want to say assertiveness, but that's not quite the right word. I wanted to just just Coping. gives them a little bit more confidence. Confidence might be the thing. Confidence. Just yeah. that um, you know the, the bullies, the bullies in the yard, and you're just like, hey mate, bugger off, and bang, you know, righto, yeah, oh, all right, oh, okay, fine, back down. Fight doesn't happen. So, it, it's inter- It's interesting what you're saying about the um the with the aggressor. Um, it, it, sometimes that aggressive behaviour has an anxiety component. So I find that that's something that sometimes people have. Um, that they sort of think, oh, but it doesn't seem anxious, you know, like yeah. it's not like it's shaking. And it's like, yeah, yeah I, I get it. But it's like saying uh, that anxiety is what's firing these things off. And you might not see the anxious behavior. You're, it's the anxiety that's seeing this, uh, that's manifesting as this other stuff. Yeah, Sometimes exactly. Sometimes it's a discord. Yeah. And I mean, it's an ab- abnormal response really to, to be so, you know, to be that um, aggressive when it comes to resources that are in, well, perceived as not being in bountiful supply in the environment. Mm. It's, it's not a, not a normal response. And, and it's part of you know, the process of bringing, uh, you know, bringing unknown animals into a house together and saying, Hey, get along. You know, you think about your share house, you know, you just bring a group of people into, into a house, you put a half a dozen people in a, in a house and, and you're guaranteed to have at least two or three spats, 
between people at certain times over certain things over who ate my sandwich in the fridge or you know, yes. even in a work environment. Who's, who's, who's using my toothpaste? Who's, who's, you know, you use the last of the toilet paper, yeah. just a, yeah, yeah. Share houses for dogs. <laughs> exactly. So um, ultimately um, when historical, they say when a historical information, oh, sorry, there's one other thing, the management as well as which they didn't, didn't put in their summary, but I think it's really important is, is potentially, um, that, that you really should be avoiding same-sex pairing during pre-adoption counselling, I think is a big ah, sort of yeah. thing is perhaps discussing with, you know, given that the, the, the factors that we find is yet, you know, particularly female, female, if, you, if you've got a female dog in the house that maybe it's not, you know, and if that, you know, if, the, if the, there's a two year age gap going to be between the dogs, if there's going to be a difference in the weight between the two dogs, um, you know, these sorts of things are perhaps something that should be looked at a little bit more closely before an adopted dog goes into the home environment. So, so I think that should be included in some pre-adoption counselling to discuss that sort of thing at, at, the, um, at some of the shelters. Well, it's certainly, um, you know, if, you, if there are risk factors that can be avoided, avoid them. Yeah, if you're talking seventy percent, um, a seventy percent chance, why not? You know, you, why not do what you can to mitigate that? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, seventy yeah, percent of the aggressive dogs um, were found to be. Yeah. Um, once one of them was was female, doesn't mean that every sort of interaction. Every no, no, it's yeah. going to be like that. But but it is more of a risk, I guess, in putting you know two dogs like that in the environment. And then you could look at things like the weights of the dog, as as we sort of discussed. Mm. So it's really important that if you've got these issues, that you do get advice from your vet really quickly. And, and I think if you know vets, we've got a lot of vets that do listen. Um, it is a really difficult one for. Uh, for a GP vet to deal with. And, and I, it is a, a situation where timely early referral before things escalate is really often the best way to go. You know, you can, you can try and deal with it in the GP setting, but, but if you've, if you've got dogs are fighting um, in, in the household, it is very difficult to deal with. Um, and so I do recommend referral um, onto a, a behaviorist, I suppose, like myself, but pro- possibly even further on to a to actual behavior specialist or bird, mm. a board certified veterinary behaviorist if you're over, over in the States. Mm. So there we go. Really interesting article. I thought that one, um, certainly a lot of things I knew already that, that certainly females, two females in the house is, is, uh, is uh, um, a poor prognostic indicator, but I didn't know about the weights and the, and the ages and that and sort of stuff. the age so, too. It, yeah. it is interesting that thing. Cause um, I think a lot of times people from um, you know, what, what Christina and I describe as um, uh, uh, progression planning, you know, like you know, Rosie's now, you know, 10 years old and thinking, okay, right. Well, what, you know, what, what, what are we thinking is going to happen at some point? Do we look at trying to get a dog and when? So that's very interesting to say, yeah, if it's uh, the greater than two years, um, you know, difference with the aggressor, you know? So I guess that's, that might make you think as well, you know, what sort of dog are you going to try and get? Um, just as a you know, question without notice, when, if you've got people that are thinking about adopting an adult dog and they've already got a dog, do you recommend them take their, um, their dog to go and meet the other one beforehand? Like, is that part of what you, you know, would you recommend that? Oh, look, I, I'm not sure certainly taking them and going and meeting in the shelter environment is the ideal way to go. Mm. I mean, the difficulty I see, um, it's not necessarily the first greeting that really tells you how the two dogs are going to get along necessarily. Yeah. I mean, commonly, you know, dogs that have been in shelters and that sort of thing are pretty, you know, they've got sort of real post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. It's a pretty, pretty sort of high stress environment. Um, and, and look, anecdotally, my thoughts would be that often when you first bring a dog into the environment, often they're fine, you know, and, and they yeah. seem like they, they get along. Okay. It's often once the dog that's the new dog starts to get a bit comfortable into the home environment, that when we start to see some issues sort of starting to develop. And I think that's, that's also sometimes the case, um, you know, when, uh, when you, when you bring a dog home that, and you haven't got another dog in the house, you often, yeah. it's all sort of fine initially. Certainly I suppose, yeah, if you did go and meet the other dog and there was obvious avert aggression right from the start, you go, well, yeah, it's obviously not going to work. This ain't going to work. No. Yeah. But I don't think it necessarily says, you know, if they seem to sniff each other's bums and they sort of, yep, look at each other and yep. Oh, that seemed like great, you know, or good. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean that you're not going to have an issue really sort of a couple of months down the track. Once that new dog becomes a bit comfortable, certainly yeah. I, I do recommend if you're getting an adopted dog that 
uh, are you going to adopt a dog from, from a shelter? Yeah, you look, go and meet that. That's not an issue. Don't, don't let that necessarily make you think that everything's going to be fine, like I said. Um, but then when you do bring the adopted dog home, actually going out to the local park and by playing separately with both dogs, you know, one owner with each dog, playing separately, then sort of bring them together, playing them together, then letting them walk home together, kind of in that sort of scenario, rather than bring the adopted dog into the um, into the household where the, where the resident dog is already perhaps protective of there. So they walk home together. That can certainly help a little bit with the introduction, but yeah, I don't know if there's any, uh, any actual studies on, on that sort of stuff. Um, but anecdotally, I would say, look, yeah, do it by all means, but don't yeah. think that, yeah, they get along in the shelter or they got along in the park outside the shelter. Oh, they're going to be best friends for life. Best buds forever. No yeah. sibling rivalry will happen here. No. Exactly. Exactly. So a bit like uh, when you first meet the, the, uh, the new person in the share house, everything's fine, you know, but it's not until two months down the track and suddenly those dirty dishes are piling up where you're like, well, this is not working so well. Or those, yeah, you, those overseas phone calls are racking up on the phone bill. Yeah. You're, the, you're trying to, trying to work out where your hair clippers are gone and you know, there's <laughs> a, you know, some you know, long, strange looking shaped hair sort of stuck in between the blades and you go, they're, they're not that that's not my body color. Hair, that's no good. Yeah. Those sorts of issues you're talking about. That, that happened to a friend of yours, didn't it, Robbie? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Some, some, some of them like to manscape, we'll say. <laughs> All righty. So look, and we'll, we'll move on. I think we've got a, a question. We're still yep. running, running a bit short on time. We've got a question this week from Claudia, which is, which is great because I was wondering where Claudia was. I haven't heard, we haven't had a question for a while from her. So I was, I was actually about to text you and say, is, she, is everything all right? You know, sort of thing, but everything's great. all good with Cloudy. Oh, good, yep, good. Definitely saw her at work the other day. She's doing great. I, I cleaned her, cleaned her cat's teeth and he's, <sighs> he's now got sparkly pearly whites. Very nice, mate. Good on you. Excellent. So great to hear from you, uh, Claudia. Um, so she says, hi, Ro- hi, Robin Lewis. I still love the podcast. Ah, a few days ago, I saw someone slap their dog because he growled. And wagged his tail at the same time when a person approached them. And then today I saw a young girl slap her dog when they barked at seeing my dogs. Mm. Leaving aside the issue of parents leaving children in charge of dogs, which Robbie will cover next week. <laughs> ah, no. There Leave we go. That'd, that'd be a good, uh, yeah, COVID, COVID puppy topic. Why not? <laughs> uh, leaving uh, the talk, I'd like to hear your views on barking, growling, and how owners should deal with it. I can understand that people don't like their dogs barking or growling at other people, but it worries me when people punish their dogs for it. I'm with you there, Claudia. Definitely. Yeah. Is it a warning sign the dog is uncomfortable with the situation? Thanks in advance. By the way, although Deb has done a great job when she's filled in on the podcast, I want to hear the return of Olive and her purring as well as perhaps Deb doing episodes on her own and calling them No Vets Talk Pets. <laughs> oh, cloudy. Nice. Gee whiz, very nice. We'll think about it. Certainly think about it. So hey, maybe, maybe we could get the kids, you know, um, uh, yeah, two, two vets, kids talk, pe- talk pets. Oh, and we, and we, could, we could just go back, back when we go to the pub. We can just let, um, you know, let, let April and Stella record and then Camille and Ruben record and that'll get two weeks worth of content out. Fantastic. We'll just take a holiday. Love it. Just holiday. Woo. That's all right. And Olive purring. That's all we need. <laughs> oh, look, Claudia, I totally agree with, you know, where you're coming from here. I mean, uh, firstly, if you look at the growling aspects of, of a dog and the reason a dog growls it is exactly like you said, it's just saying, I feel uncomfortable in this situation. Whatever it is is going on, uh, you know, in, in the owner's mind, it might be like, why are you like this? But in the dog's mind, I'm going, I'm really uncomfortable with this. I'm actually telling you I'm uncomfortable by growling. So mm. I'll look at it as, giving as you almost, a signal. Yeah, it is. I'm, I'm giving and you I'll, a signal. It's the sort of thing that, that you almost need to say to your dog, thank you for telling me that. Yeah. Let's do something about this. You know, let's, uh, you're uncomfortable. Righto. Don't like those dogs over there. Let's move away. Let's go somewhere else. Let's uh, yeah. move over to these dogs over here. Or you don't like that person approaching us. Righto. Let's cross the road. Walk over here. Thanks for letting me know that you're uncomfortable. Perfect. The problem you've got if um, with the slapping of the dogs or the punishment for the growling, which is something owners often do, and oh, don't, don't, why are you growling? Is is growling, number one, says I'm uncomfortable. So I'm perhaps a bit worried, a little bit anxious about what's going on. Well, now if you're going to hit me as well when I see that person or that other dog that I'm anxious or uncomfortable about, now I'm not only worried about that dog, but I'm actually worried about what you're going to do. You're going to hurt me as well. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm doubly worried when I see that dog now, because what am I meant to do? What's going on? And the other issue you have with, with punishing growling is it's a warning sign. It's an indication probably that if you keep pushing 
the approach to that dog or the approach to that person that we might escalate. Mm-hmm. Um, we might go up from growling and maybe go to a snap or something like that. Or barking is another warning sign as well. Um, and then we become aggressive. So if you start punishing your dog and trying to stop them from growling and you're successful in that, what some dogs end up doing is they don't growl at all. They actually just bite straight away. There's no, they, they, there's no, there's no, there's no middle ground anymore. Why? But no, that didn't work. That's, I'm going to go straight, straight to the money shot. Yeah. There's no, there's no warning. There's nothing. And, and it's the owners go, Oh, oh but a bit out of the blue. No, I didn't see it coming. Yeah. Well, yeah, you did see it coming in the last sort of 30 times that you punished them for growling. Yeah. Um, but you sort of didn't put two and two together. So yeah, certainly great, great comment. Great, great question. Um, Cloudy and the barking stuff, I guess, you know, if you've, uh, you've got a dog and they're barking at something on a lead, um, whether it be another dog or a person, there, there are probably three sort of things, I guess it could be one. Certainly some dogs just bark with excitement and, and, and wanting it or wanting attention. Mm-hmm. You know, we're on a lead, we're getting to the park. I'm so excited. I can't, I can't control myself. And there are the other dogs, you know, or there's my other owner coming to greet me down the street. You know, all excited that that's, um, that's a pretty high pitch. Generally, you sort of probably most people know what that's going on. And look, that may be associated with a wag of the tail. That that's, yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's fine. There's, um, there's barking potentially for protective aggression. So some dogs um, become protective of their owners um, when other dogs approach them and they're on lead and they do start barking, maybe growling in those situations, um, uh, sort of trying to keep the other dogs or, or other people away from their owner. But the most common one is going to be that it's a, it's a, um, an, a fear bark or a, you know, an anxiety about somebody approaching um, they're, they're, all they're trying to do is increase the area of space around them by using barking. Um, and, and it sort of needs to be a, something that's taken on board by their owners going, all right, so my dog's barking because it is actually uncomfortable um, about the approach of those people or those other dogs. We've got to move away. We've got to you know, go something else. Maybe I've got to try and distract them. I'll pull out the, the stick that I found. No, not the stick. No, oh, not the stick. No, no, no. no. no the, the, the rope toy. Not, not, not the hairy tennis ball. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Don't put out the hairy ball. It doesn't work in these situations. Certainly something else to distract them. Not that one that Robbie's used his clippers on the other person. No, in the house. no, no, yeah. no. Don't no. shave the balls down. So that they're then like rubber. Just get a rubber ball. Yeah. Just, just get a rubber, ball. rubber ball. And don't yeah. use Robbie's razor for that. Now, could, could you just peel the, peel the fluff off the tennis ball? Ooh. Yeah, could you just sit there and you know just sort of peel it off, or do you think Ooh. that's a bit barbaric peeling it off? Oh, I've got visions. Jeez. <laughs> anyway, so uh, you know, and and then if if the barking and the growling, I mean, all of that stuff can escalate to, to fear, aggression, and biting as well. So, so it is it is really wrong to punish it. It is interesting you mentioned that the dog was wagging their tail, and wagging the tail is a classic thing that owners and I reckon we do a whole episode on wagging the tail. Owners think if a dog's wagging their tail, they're happy. Well. Yeah, yeah, not always. No, wagging your tail in a dog is what I like to say is just your dog wants to interact in some way with whatever's going yeah. on. So it might be interacting in an aggressive way. If I'm barking, I want to be aggressive with you, or you know, I want you to move away. If I'm happy, it's a low, sort of floppy, kind of golden retriever kind of wag of the tail, then you know, that's great. That that's happy to greet you. Yeah. So wagging the tail, don't teach your kids that wagging the tail means you can pat their dog. It does not mean that at no. all. It really needs to be looked at with other signs of the dog doing is that, you know, backing away, is it approaching, is it barking, is it growling? You need to look at other signs with the wagging the tail. It's very hard for um to really identify the 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 mindset of the dog just by looking at the tail. So yeah. it's it's the old wet nose thing. Just because your dog's nose is wet doesn't mean that it's happy, healthy, not healthy, about to die, just gone for a swim, whatever. It's the same what? with the wagging tail. What? Yeah, no, yeah, sorry, mate. They, they covered that at uni a couple of years after you went through, <laughs> I think, that the that the wet nose thing is not a diagnostic tool. I've been using that for years. It's got a wet oh. nose, he's fine. He's not eating, he's vomiting, he's wet nose. Right. He'll be fine. He'll be right. He'll be fine. Beautiful. All right. So if you've got a question like Claudia, you can get us up at two vets talk pets at gmail.com. We're yes. on Instagram or on Facebook. We're on TikTok sometimes. Briefly. Sometimes. Yeah. Rob, Robbie, Robbie's on house party with all the other vet students in, in the room. No, I've, 
I've gone and watched um, Social Dilemma now. I'm 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 off all, all yeah. I've 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 just thrown away all my devices. Where we're doing this through a pineapple tin now. Um, yeah, mm. gone 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 old school. Wait till your kids get a bit older, mate. It's all coming back. It's all coming. Back. <laughs> you got that. You got that social dilemma still to come, right there. Nice. Anyway, guys. Um. So yeah, get get us up. Got any questions? Let us know. Any topics you want us to cover? Please let us know. But um, absolutely. Scratch you later. Yeah, peace out, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening to Two Vets Talk Pets with Lewis and Robbie. To chat further about this week's episode or ask the guys any questions, search Two Vets Talk Pets on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or send an email to Two Vets Talk Pets at gmail.com. You can find Lewis on Twitter with the handle at VetBehaviorist, and more importantly, as the two pet heroes return to their day job of saving animals' lives, be sure to thank them with a five-star review on iTunes. Every time you do, a small, cute animal will receive a cuddle.